This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning. How'd you sleep? This is a relevant question as we launch into episode number 11 of Go To Grandma. My name is Kathy Buckworth, and I like to read books at 2 o'clock in the morning. No, not until 2 o'clock in the morning, but I like to wake up especially to do that. Okay, I don't want to wake up then, but I do. And I don't even have little kids in the house to blame this on. It's just me. Maybe I should talk to a sleep expert. Oh, wait, we have one on the show today. Alana McGinn of Goodnight Sleep Sight is going to help us help our grandchildren get the best sleeps. When my kids were little, we did have baby monitors. They were more like one-way radios. No pictures, of course, just sound. I quickly discovered that the only time I needed, or frankly wanted, to use the sleep monitor was when I was downstairs or, gasp, outside in the backyard and baby was asleep upstairs. I could hear them when they woke up, if I remembered to turn the volume up. I could hear them just fine across the hall in the middle of the night. Thanks very much. Flash forward to today, and so much has changed with my grandsons. First off, they are amazing sleepers, like 12 hours at night sleepers. So I'm a fan of all of the new and improved techniques. Monitors which work off Wi-Fi, record movement, have sharp, clear images even when the room is 100% dark. Windows are garbage bagged, towels are placed at the bottom of the door so not a single crack of light gets in. Sound machines are turned on. What does the crib look like? Cribs haven't changed a ton, but what's inside has. No bumper pads, no stuffed toys, no blankets, sleep sacks, and a baby. We'll get Alana's take on sleep training today. From where I sit, it works. Lisa Thornbury's daughter, Avery's future is so bright she has to wear shades. That's the opening motto of their podcast, A Very Bright Life. We're going to talk to Lisa about Avery's past, present, and future as a disabled child. Avery's grandparents play a big role in her life, and we'll talk about that and the proper terminology to use in this community. I'm an old friend of Lisa and Avery's. They're some of my favorite people, and I always learn so much when I listen to their podcast. Not sure too many people associate banking with passion, but today that will change as our Take 5 with RBC series talks about finding your passion in retirement. Are you ready for your second act? We'll get into that. It's about more than the finances. So wipe the sleep from your eyes, get a double calf, latte, whatever you drink, and join us for this next half an hour. You'll be glad you did. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Alana McGinn is founder and certified sleep expert of Good Night Sleep Site, a global sleep consulting practice. She's the host of This Girl Loves Sleep podcast and has established the worldwide brand of Good Night Sleep Site as being a number one sleep resource for families. She and her team of sleep consultants strive in helping families, baby to adults, and corporations overcome their sleep challenges and have well-rested smiles in the morning. Good morning, Alana. Shall I ask how you slept? (laughs) <laughs> I slept well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, no, I slept well. Kids slept well. How was your sleep? It was really good. And I know you say this girl loves to sleep is who you are. But what about when I'm having my, my grandsons over? Like, how do I set up the best sleep environment for them when obviously they're in not their own bedrooms? Right. I mean, I think the most important thing is to start to open up the conversation between 
parent and child. So parents and grandparents, um, over, you know, in terms of schedule, in terms of sleep environment, something that I always tell parents to do is whenever your child's sleeping away from home. So whether it be at grandma and grandpa's or whether it be, you know, on vacation, they're out always set up, bring familiar items at the child. So set up an unfamiliar environment, make it more familiar. So simple things like, you know, removing the crib sheet from the crib. So it has that familiar smell Mm. or if, you know, child sleeping in a pack and play, you know, having that familiar smell from home on that pack and play sheet, Hmm. um, using a white noise machine. If a parent is using a sound machine, I always say buy two, keep one in the diaper bag, use one at home. So wherever the child is sleeping, they have that familiar sound and bedtime routine. This is why bedtime routine is, I mean, bedtime routine is important for so many reasons, but one of them is this, you know, doing those, Similar activities that the child does at home with parents, it could be something as simple as reading a story, mm-hmm. singing a song, you know, these types of things that the grandparents can easily do just kind of gives them that cue that it's time to go to sleep even when they're not in their own room. Yeah. So it's all about like it's still bedtime, even though you're in a different place, there's still enough sort of routine elements that they can feel pretty comfortable because my oldest grandson is not even quite two. So at that age, of course, it's super important to have the yeah. same routines. So, you know, I joke to the intro of the show that things have changed so much since I, you know, put my now 30-year-old daughter down to sleep in her crib. Um, and sleep training is a phrase that I don't know was around, you know, when I was putting my, my kids to bed. So explain sleep training and how can we best support, like how can I support my daughter and my grandsons during the sleep training phase? Right. So when we talk about the term sleep training or sleep support, sleep learning, this is really just setting up the proper tools to help your child sleep through the night. So the first thing I'll touch on is the term sleeping through the night, right? We all just assume that that means baby has to fall asleep at bedtime, sleep all through the night until morning time. But the thing is, none of us sleep through the night. We (laughs) all wake up throughout the night, right? We do, children do, babies do. So to me, sleeping through the night is when a baby or a child can independently fall back asleep when they do wake up throughout the night. So setting up different tools like a consistent, a safe, a conducive sleep environment, having those consistent bedtimes, uh, bedtime routines, age appropriate bedtimes, making sure baby and child is napping well throughout the day. Um, and then incorporating any method or approach that we might have to, um, in the middle of the night to maybe break some associate associations once parents are ready to do so like feed to sleep, rock to sleep. That is kind of what encompasses sleep learning or sleep training. Um, when we're working with parents and we look at the, we always look at the entire year unit. So who else is watching baby or child? So, you know, if, if parents are working, the grandparents could be watching them during the day or like with you, Mm -hmm. you know, grandbabies sleep at your house. Sometimes that's where I say it's really important to have that conversation and really sit down with everyone who's watching the child. So whether that be grandparents or caregivers so that you can be really consistent with the plan and the follow through because consistency, especially in those beginning stages are so important with the sleep schedule, with how you're responding to the child. Um, So everyone really needs to be on the same page. So if you're asking, you know, how best can I support my child? It's really just first thing to start with that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what are you doing? What steps can I take to make sure that you're successful with the sleep uh, process that you want for your child? So your business is a sleep consultant. So are you in my house, Alana? Is your team in my house? How does that work? I mean, the term sleep consultant is fairly new for a lot of grandparents as well. 
It is. So there's different um, programs that you can purchase. We don't go into your house physically. So we work with families um, online through phone calls, through Skype, through we have an online log that we follow. It's, it's typically a two week one on one program where we're working with parents. We and what I do love is we have a lot of grandparents actually who are contacting us saying, you know, my son needs help with his new child or my daughter needs help with her new child. And they're kind of like that. Um, that middle person mm-hmm. that connects yeah. us to the parent, <laughs> um, which I think is amazing. You know, it's just, it's so important. I mean, listen, sleep training can be tough. So Absolutely. it's so important to have that support. So where can we find you online? What's your website and, and where can we follow you on social media, Lana? Uh, you can follow me online on Instagram at GN Sleep Site. Our website is Good Night Sleep Site. And we have a lot of great resources. We have an amazing Facebook uh, online community as well, Good Night Sleep Site, where a lot of parents are chatting with one another and chatting with our team of consultants. It's amazing. Wonderful. And I know I could have benefited from this when my kids were little, but I really appreciate this. And I know that so many parents are getting better night's sleep because of you and your team. So thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Lisa Thornbury is a former elementary school teacher and a mom of two. Her son just started university and her daughter is in high school. Daughter Avery was diagnosed as an infant with a chromosome deletion and duplication. This rare genetic disorder results in developmental and intellectual disabilities, profound speech delay, and epilepsy. Avery's disabilities come with a unique set of challenges, but Team Thornbury, Avery's parents and grandparents, say Avery's playful sense of humor, love of fun, and her kind heart make her a joy to be around. Lisa and Avery give us an honest and humorous look at the challenges and triumphs of life as a disability family on their podcast called A Very Bright Life. Good morning, Lisa Thornbury. Good morning. How are you today? I am doing really well. How are are you? you? I'm great. Are you having a very great, bright day today? That is the name of the podcast. A very bright life, Kathy. I know. (laughs) And so is your wonderful daughter, Avery. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I've noticed that as I was reading some of your notes, I've noticed that you use the term disabilities in place of the term special needs. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So as you know, language is always changing and evolving. So when Avery was first diagnosed with a chromosome disorder way back in 2006, the acceptable language at the time was special needs. And I referred to myself as a special needs mom for Mm -hmm. over a decade. But in recent years, adults in the disability community have told us that their needs are not special and that being labeled in that way is condescending. So They've asked us to use disabled, and I think that's fair. I think I think it's ableist of me, a non-disabled person, to decide how a person with disabilities should be defined, right? Absolutely. Like, right? So folks in the disability community have been telling us repeatedly that disabled is not a bad word, and they've asked us to use it in place of special needs. But as an older person who's grown up being told that calling someone disabled is a negative thing, right. I felt like... Special needs was a kinder, gentler term. So for me, making the transition like emotionally and intellectually, it took me a minute. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but now I know better and I understand. So I've updated my vocabulary. 
there's a lot to learn, and language is really important, as we know. And so, when Avery was was born, you know, your parents had to obviously be a part of the, as you call it, Team Thornbring, get on board. But what advice do you have for grandparents of a newly diagnosed grandchild, thinking back to those early days, and how can they support the parents of their grandkids with disabilities? Yeah, whether your grandchild is diagnosed with some kind of disability or disease at birth or later in childhood, it's it's really stressful. Mm-hmm. And the unknown can be really scary, not to mention the worry that grandparents feel is doubled because their concern isn't just for their grandchild. It extends to their own child as well, because watching your child struggle, even when they're grown up, it's, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one piece of advice I do have is that we have to remember that it won't always feel this way not saying that it will suddenly just become a piece of cake, but it will absolutely become easier and less scary. As far as concrete actions that grandparents can take, I do have a few suggestions that worked for our family. Wonderful. Okay, so first of all, support. Emotional, of course, but also real-life help, like accompanying your child and your grandchild to medical appointments. Mm -hmm. I found it so helpful to have an extra set of ears to help me sort of process what the doctors were telling me, especially when my husband wasn't there. And I also appreciated having another person in the car with me to watch Avery as I was driving. Mm-hmm. Plus, it always just felt really comforting to have my mom or my mother-in-law there with me. So that's a good one. I'm also, just listen. Don't try to fix anything. Just let your child talk about how they're feeling and try not to downplay what they're saying like with little gems like, it'll be okay. Yeah. Or, <laughs> you know, it could be worse, things like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So instead, just try saying something like, yeah, you know, this is really hard or you're doing a great job and I'm really proud of you. I think you're right. We forget that piece of it sometimes that the grandparents are dealing with the, the two relationships, right? The the child yeah. that they're supporting as well as the grandchild that they're adapting to and thinking, how can I really help? And I think you're right. Some of the physical help we do is almost more important than just, you know, being there listening and saying it'll be okay, which is probably the wrong thing to say a lot of the time. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we all say things and we, we have the best of intentions, right? So. Mm-hmm. If you say it from the heart, I think it's it's okay, whatever you say. But yeah, you're right. The basics like food and housekeeping and errands and childcare, things like that, I found really, really helpful. And of course, it depends on your proximity and your availability, obviously. And it also depends on how much your child is willing to accept, because I was a real stinker. <laughs> Accepting help for me was really hard. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably a whole psychological deep dive there. But anyway, but because of Avery's complicated medical needs, I didn't really want anyone else caring for her directly in the early days. But I definitely appreciated a home-cooked meal dropped off, or my dad would pick up meds from the pharmacy and bring them over, or the grandparents would take our older child to the park for a few hours. Right. Um, so I would say just ask your child what they need and then just do that. And if they don't know what they need, because that's a definite possibility, then just have food delivered. That was always a winner for me. So Avery's in high school now, which is exciting and I'm sure a little bit scary. So she's that age sort of, but what's her relationship like with her grandparents? Oh, Avery and her grandparents are tight. (laughs) Uh, They are her biggest fans, her most dedicated cheerleaders. And I don't, I think some grandparents deliberately distance themselves, maybe out of fear They also maybe lower their expectations for their grandchild with disabilities a little. And I I think that's a shame Mm -hmm. because Avery's grandparents always treat her exactly like her sibling. They don't talk down to her. um, They speak to her directly. They don't baby her or let her get away with anything just because she's disabled. So she's held accountable, like cognitive age appropriately for things. So if she makes a mess, 
she's asked to clean it up because she can. And so she's not really treated that much differently than your son who's not disabled. Is that right? That's right. Like anything they do for uh, our son, they do for her. If they put money away for our son for school, they do the same thing for Avery. Because assuming, oh, well, you know, she won't go to college or why does she need to save for that? Uh, no, uh, we never put limits on what our kids will be able to do one day. Mm-hmm. And I f- feel like it's empowering for her and for us as parents to just have people who love our child for exactly who she is because her disabilities don't define her. They're just one part of who she is. And I understand, unfortunately, Avery lost a grandmother. And that can be a really tricky concept for any child, but let alone one with intellectual disabilities. How did you manage through that? Yeah, it was difficult. Just, I think one thing um, that somebody told me was to be to use very concrete terms mm. to be specific, because Avery's very, um, what's the word I'm looking Literal. for? Literal. Thank you. Yep. So we would say, like, your grandmother died. Uh, We would not say passed away Mm. or gone to heaven because she couldn't quite understand that. But one thing we did was we got her to write down a message to her grandmother and we put it in a balloon and she um, said a few words to her grandmother and and let it go. And um, it had sort of a sense of closure for her that she could understand. And then we also created a memory box with special things that were her grandmother's and she keeps that in her room and so she can have sort of a connection with her that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the things that, that helped us. So your podcast is full of advice for parents and grandparents. It's A Very Bright Life and you have a website too, averybrightlife.com. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Lisa. I always learn something when I talk to you. Thanks, KB. Thanks. Retirement is about more than money. It's about having the opportunity to devote your time to the things you love most. Retirement can be your new beginning, your second act. That's the name of a video series by RBC that is sharing stories of Canadians who are pursuing their passions in retirement and highlighting the financial decisions are helping make this possible. My next guest, Natalina Bombino-Campagnolo, is one of the people featured on this video series. Natalina was running her Italian cooking school after years as a stay-at-home mom, and then COVID hit and teaching in person was no longer possible. So, Natalina reinvented herself as an internet cooking instructor, demonstrating authentic Italian home cooking through her online show, Natalina's Kitchen, Bringing Homemade Back. She's bringing her passion for food and skills as a chef to a much wider audience, and now she'll share that passion with us. Good morning, Natalina. Thanks for coming in studio today. Good morning. It's Kathy. great to have you here. I'm so inspired by your story, um, going from teaching, you know, classes um, now to having to pivot, as they say, you know, to teaching in person. I'm sorry, to teaching online. So, what was the switch like for you, going from face to face to on now on the internet? Well, the tech part was definitely a challenge, but after teaching in person classes for ten years, it actually wasn't that difficult at all. And I think just simply because as a teacher, you begin to hear a lot of the same questions, mm. so you really get to know your students and what info they're looking for. So I was able to easily transition to online because I just deliver what I think my students would want to know. I have to admit, though, I do really miss my students and the energy I get from an in-person classroom. Absolutely. And when you're teaching online, um, are you? do you have uh, students live in front of you or are you, is it a tape series that you're doing? It's a tape series. It's a tape series. So you yeah. really don't have that same sort no. of energy, as you say, although you know exactly what kinds of questions they're, they're going yeah. to have. So one of the things you talk about on RB second act video series is how important it was for you to have a financial plan to set up your internet cooking show. Can you share how you went about making that plan? And does it still hold true now today? Or are you continuing to adapt your plan as you go along? 
Well, in order to go from in-person classes to on excuse me. In order to go from in-person classes to online classes from wherever I am, whether it's at the cottage or one of my tours in Italy, I needed to be able to take a substantial decrease in salary. And that's simply because online classes take much longer to develop revenue. So I needed to have my personal finances in order. My long-term plan was always to spend more time traveling and at the cottage. Um, when I, my husband and I bought our cottage 12 years ago, this is when we set the plan in motion. With the help of our RBC advisor, we were able to realize our dreams sooner than we anticipated. I will adapt, adapt the plan as I go, but the goal is to only work as much as I would like to continue doing what I absolutely love. It's nice to be ahead of the plan, as you said. Do you have advice for others who might be, you know, rethinking their retirement? Think, I mean, people have changed their minds a lot during this last 18 months. Um, so do you have any advice for them, people who are considering the second act of their own? Well, I would say speak to your advisor mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. Um, we knew that if we wanted to realize our dream, it couldn't happen overnight. We had to plan years in advance, so we needed some professional guidance to guide us through this process. Yeah, absolutely. And what were some of the questions you might have asked the advisor? Probably the biggest one was in order to meet our personal and financial goals, um, how much did we actually have to work? Because, I mean, let's face it, um, although I love my job, um, I also love spending time with my family and on other things as well. So it was really nice to kind of have that number in mind that, you know, just exactly how much you needed to work to uh, meet all your goals. Yeah, to have, and you're right, to work to eat. I mean, it's not a goal unless you have, that, you know, sort of that number to work towards. And you have four kids. I um, do. So you do want to spend a lot of the time with the family. Do you find yourself passing on sort of advice to them, financial advice, now that you've got your plan oh, locked down? Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Um, just like I like to teach them to cook. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, because it's, it's true because sometimes we think, you know, well, we've got ourselves sorted out, but then we can take that same advice and pass it down to our kids and make sure that, I mean, I have grandkids. I mean, maybe one day you will as well. I hope so. Um, and, you know, you want to be able to make sure that they're set as for life too, the way that you feel set, you know? Oh, absolutely. I feel that anything we learn in life is worthwhile, that's successful, that's worthwhile to pass down to your kids and grandkids. Absolutely. And so I need to know more now about Natalina's Kitchen, which is natalinaskitchen.com. Um, so how long are your classes? What types of food? Are you, are you always teaching um, with Italian? Italian food? What's happening on the show? I need to watch this. It's mostly <laughs> Italian or mm-hmm. Italian inspired. So my background is Southern Italian. Nice. So it's a Mediterranean diet, very healthy, very mm-hmm. simple food, um, very ingredient oriented and good quality, simple ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have an online cooking school, which is pre-recorded uh, and it's on a platform. So one could go in and watch the videos as many times as or they whatever wish. I want to, two in the yeah. morning if I I'm inspired exactly. to cook. I on your own schedule, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then I also have my YouTube channel. So nice. I found on the YouTube channel, um, I'm getting a lot of response on little tips and tricks and also to um, just explaining some of the ingredients mm-hmm. that may not be so common in North America. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's let's face it, there's a lot of um, cooking YouTubers um, online right now, mm-hmm. but I'm finding that my viewers are really interested in some of the terms we use and some of the products.
Thanks. That's uh, and you have a great Instagram account too. Oh, I thanks. know. Yeah, and share a lot of things there. We can all learn a lot from that. Thank you so much for joining us today. We love hearing about how you're meeting your goals. And I am seriously going. I need. I'm not a terrible cook, so I need to go <laughs> on and take some lessons from you online. Thanks so much, Adelina. Thank you. While getting your kids to sleep has been an issue since Eve had to settle that first newborn, the ways in which we strategize about how to do it evolves pretty much with every generation. On their back, on their front, let them cry in your bed, in darkness, in noise. Jerry Seinfeld sums it up this way: The bedtime routine for my kids is like this royal coronation jubilee centennial of rinsing and plaque and dental appliances. And the stuffed animal semicircle of emotional support, and I've got to read eight different moron books. You know what my bedtime story was when I was a kid? Darkness. Thanks to Lanham again for helping us to understand how our kids are putting their kids to sleep and how we can support that. Grandparents are such a valuable resource for every child, but the relationship between a disabled child and their grandparents is one that excels for both of them. Thank you so much to Lisa Thornbury for sharing her story of a parenting journey that has had many tough twists and turns, but that has always had the constant love of supporting grandparents. Natalina Bombino Campagnolo inspired me to eat more Italian food and to really think about what I want to do with my own second act. You can discover more inspiring ideas and stories by heading to rbc.com/retirement. So that concludes episode number eleven. It's no mystery what comes after eleven, right? Well, maybe I'm going to call in an expert sleuth anyway. Murdoch, are you there? That's right. Yannick Bisson is not only Canada's most famous detective; he's now joined an even more prestigious rank, that of granddad. Yannick and his wife Chantal, a well-known parenting author, are the proud parents of three daughters and now one precious grandson. They'll join me to talk about this exciting new stage of their lives. And I'm going to find out if Chantel will go buy her own parenting books as she helps raise this new generation, or do we get to throw away those laws for a grandparent manifesto? Murdoch, as you've never heard him before, putting all the pieces together to solve the biggest case of all. Social media expert Avery Swartz tells us what to post and where, and we hit the greens on our Take Five with RBC segment. Thanks for listening. If you're listening via podcast, please subscribe and give us a review. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go to Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth, or email her Kathy at kathybuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.